Remember that phrase, take a moment to be still. Remember that phrase. It's my 44th year in the pulpit at Thanksgiving time. And in these 44 years, I have never preached on this particular text. And when you hear the text, you'll say, where is Strand going with this one? It is Monday, Thursday. Jesus has but hours to live. In about an hour, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be lying flat down. And if you look carefully, you'll see that he's sweating drops of blood. You'll see the disciples who he cares about asleep. And he will be saying, Father, if there's some other way to do this, Let it happen some other way. If there's some other way for me to save mankind, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want the physical pain. I don't want the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I do not want that coming out of my mouth. That will be Jesus one hour from what I'm about to read. Mark chapter 14, the Passover meal, verse 22. While they were yet eating, Jesus took the bread on the table. He lifted it up and gave thanks to God. And then he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said to them, take eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and a second time he lifted it up to heaven and he gave thanks to God. And he offered the cup to them. And they drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. It will be shed for the remission of your sins. So I want your insight on this. Tell me how Jesus, one hour from now, will be sweating drops of blood. Tell me how Jesus, six months earlier, had said to his disciples, we got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross there. And immediately after he said that, he climbs the Mount of Transfiguration because six months earlier, he didn't want to do that thing. He did not want to die on the cross. And that weight has been on him for six months. It's like if you have cancer. It's like if you have end-stage cancer and you know the end is coming. It consumes you. It consumed Jesus. It is one hour before the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is there at that table, not a Thanksgiving table, Passover table. And he is giving thanks to God. Are you kidding me? You're about to die on the cross. This has been heavy on you for six months. You're going to be sweating drops of blood. And all of a sudden you're giving thanks to God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you wake up in the morning, don't look at the circumstance you face. When you wake up in the morning, seek the face of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and he will grant you all things you need for that day and that circumstance. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is not looking at the circumstance of his death on that cross He's looking at God, and he's giving him thanks for his power. 
and he's giving him thanks for his love. My death is going to be salvation of all mankind. Your power is stronger than Satan's power. You're going to crush his head. And he thanks God for his wisdom. Did he want to die on the cross? No. Did the apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, did he want the thorn in the flesh? No. But God said to the apostle Paul, you're going to keep it because it's going to keep you close to me. And Jesus says, I don't want this thorn in the flesh. But he's looking at God. And he's giving him thanks for his power, for his love, for his wisdom. Thank you for letting me fulfill that which you planned from the creation of the world. When you come to the Thanksgiving table in three or four days, is it a Thanksgiving where you can look up to God and the prayer you've written on the paper, thank you for the baby, thank you for my new job, thank you for my husband, thank you for my wife, thank you for my grandchild, thank you that the cancer's in remission, Thank you for putting back together our marriage. Is it a Thanksgiving where on paper, as you pray, you're going to have all these circumstances for which you give thanks to God? Or are you having a difficult time? You're you're the one assigned to do the prayer. Are you having a difficult time putting together that prayer? Because how do you say, thank you, God, that I have cancer? Or thank you, God, that I lost my job. Or thank you, God, that my child's struggling with addiction. What type of thanksgiving will it be for you in the realm of circumstances? What sort of thanksgiving? Jesus is the epitome of thanksgiving. With his death on the cross... In a few hours, he's giving thanks to God. He's seeking the face of God, not his circumstance. And then, when he's through thanking God, it's not time to think about himself. It's time to think about the disciples. John 14, he's already told them, you trust in God, what is about to happen, you got to trust in me. And what is about to happen, namely the cross, I'm going to tell you the purpose. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not be speaking to you in this manner. I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare that place for you through the cross and the resurrection, you will always be where I am. He was always thinking about the disciples. After he gives thanks to God, there they sit. He knows what's coming, not to himself. He knows what's coming to them. And he says to them, I want to bring my peace and my presence into your life. Take heed, this is my body. It will be sacrificed, not for me. It will be sacrificed for you. That your life on this earth can be transformed and that when you die 30 years from now, Or you, the Apostle John, 70 years from now, when you die, 
You'll be with me in heaven as readily as you were on this earth. He thinks about God and gives him thanks. And then he thinks about his disciples. And his heart goes out to them. And then he says, take drink, this is my blood. It will be shed to save you. This thanksgiving is not about your circumstance. This thanksgiving is about thanks to God who already told you, John sixteen thirty three. Every once in a while in this life, there are going to be storms. But when the storms come, I don't want you to look at the storm because it'll swallow you up. I want you to look at me. I'm in the storm. My hand, Psalm 23, my hand is connected to your hand in the storm. Isaiah 43, the storm will not devour you because I'm with you. Remember in the video it said, be still, just take some moments and be still. There's two types of people on Thanksgiving as they're at the meal. Observe carefully, but don't be too obvious. There will be people that consume their food, and it'll be gone in about a minute, minute and a half. They just consume the food. It is just gone. I'm probably guilty of that. There will be others who sit and savor every bite. They will take their dear sweet time and God bless them. They will savor every bite. The people who eat real fast, they, they leave me the feeling of, man, you are frantic. And the people that eat slowly, I sit and look at them and say, you've got a peaceful existence. The people that are frantic, I always assume that that is how life is for them. They're frantic with life. And here's what happens if you're frantic with life. Here's what happens if life is a fast race for you and not a leisurely stroll. Here's what happens. You see no beauty because you don't have time to see the beauty. You're rushing from one thing to the next. Got to eat the food really quickly. I got to get to work. I got to get to pick up my children. I got to... You're just busy all the time. You don't see the beauty. You don't stop and, quote-unquote, smell the roses. And you don't hear what other people hear who slow down in life. You don't hear the laughter of children. You don't hear the conversations that are going to happen at Thanksgiving. This little group over here talking about this, chuckling about this, and this little group over here chuckling about that. If you're just frantic with life, you see no beauty in it. And if you're frantic with life... All you hear is noise. Man, it was so noisy at Thanksgiving time, man. The children were just running all over the place. You do not hear the laughter. And you do not hear the conversations. You are frantic with life. And if you do not see the beauty in life, you do not see something else. You do not see needs. I looked at Matthew 25 again this morning before I came over here. Jesus said you didn't feed the hungry, you didn't give drink to the thirsty, you didn't put clothes on the naked. And, and the people literally said, we didn't see them. How can you blame us for something we didn't see? Jesus says all the time, slow down. 
slow down. His own disciples put a timepiece on Jesus. He doesn't have time to be with the children. He doesn't have time to help you, Bartimaeus. He doesn't have time to help you, crippled man that's through a hole in a roof. He doesn't have time to help you, the man lying at the pool of Siloam for 38 years. Jesus doesn't have time. And Jesus says to his disciples, I hope you learn one thing from me. I hope you learn compassion. And number two, I hope you learn to slow down in life so that you see the beauty of what God has created and so that you see need when it exists. Who else would have seen Bartimaeus? Are you kidding me? Who else would have seen a blind beggar calling out to him, help me, have mercy on me, son of David. Who else in a crowded marketplace with hundreds of hands placed upon him, who else would have felt the woman who had been sick for 12 years touch his robe? Who else would have wasted, excuse me, I don't mean, who else would have wasted their first miracle on helping a bride and groom at a wedding? Why not, if it's your first miracle, why not feed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Because that's who Jesus is. Bride and groom are going to be embarrassed because they've run out of wine. And Jesus sees it, and he sees Bartimaeus, and he sees the children. And he sees a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and he sees a look of sadness on Jairus' face. Jairus' daughter has died. He's turning. He's going back. His servants have said, don't bother Jesus any longer. You and I wouldn't have heard it, but Jesus hears the conversation. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that as this Thanksgiving comes, as every day we live comes, it's not the circumstance that Paul Strand looks at. It's not the circumstance that you look at. You look at the one who's had your life in the palm of his hand from the moment that sperm and egg came together. And you're looking at the one who has 7,000 promises for you. Is it all right to be sad? I dare say. 20 minutes after Jesus said about Lazarus, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me shall never die. 20 minutes later, he weeps at the graveside of Lazarus. Jesus is the one who was so much in anguish, true man, true God, so much in anguish that he's sweating drops of blood. He was as human as any of us. And the Bible points that out. He had to be made like his brothers, Hebrews 2.17. He had to be made like his brothers in all ways in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Might I dare say that if it is one of the worst Thanksgivings you've ever had, it ought to be the Thanksgiving where your faith in God manifests itself unlike any other time. 
Are you one of those families who celebrates the thir- first Thanksgiving without a loved one, without the son or the daughter or the husband or the wife? Are you? Might you have a smile in the midst of your tears and say, they're safe in heaven. It's their first Thanksgiving in heaven. You're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about that loved one who is now safe. And you're doing what Jesus did. You're giving thanks to God that he sent his son Jesus down that cross and he raised him from the dead three days later so that we might have that eternal life and we might have abundant life while we live on this earth, a life not consumed by our grief, our anger, our shame, or our guilt. Our life consumed by God, the one to whom we give thanks. You have one other option at the Thanksgiving table. You can eat slowly, or you can ram it on down. You have a second option. Ready? If you're at a restaurant, if you're at your daughter-in-law's, if it's at your house, here's what you can do. Wish we were at a different restaurant. How come the service is so slow? How come these mashed potatoes are cold? How come all there, there's all this noise in this house? That's an option. I so badly wanted everyone in this church to go through Hope Starts Here last week. Our school children did, God be praised. I wanted everyone to go through there. Because in those 20 minutes, you saw what you'll never see in this country. You saw abject poverty. You saw abject poverty. It wasn't a make-believe story. The baby found out in the forest. It wasn't a make-believe story when David said, you know, we got food out of the dumpsters. It isn't a make-believe story. How do I know? Because I was there. Because I was there in El Salvador on two occasions. And I saw it. I saw them at the dumpsters. I saw them at the trash heaps. I saw them drinking water that we were told, don't get near that water, don't wash your hands in that water. And they're drinking it. How in the world could any one of us sit at the Thanksgiving table and say the mashed potatoes are a little bit cold. And that pumpkin pie doesn't taste like my mom's pumpkin pie. How can there be one word, not just on Thanksgiving, how can there be one word ever? Philippians 4, we always read it this time of the year. Whatever is kind, whatever is truthful, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Let us think and speak about those things. You and I, basically, are not free to determine what life, what food will be set before us. You can argue with me, if someone has an addiction, that's their fault, man. If they messed up their life that way, that's their fault. 
Well, you don't know addictions very well then. We are never really free to determine what food will be set before us in life. But we are absolutely, totally free to decide how we will partake of the meal, whether it's resentment or gratitude. And there's a vast difference in how we partake of the circumstances of our life. Closing word. Jesus says it over and over and over and over again. David says it over and over and over again in his Psalms. Isaiah says it over and over and over again. Be still. Just be still. Because if you just be still, you'll see God. And if you're frantic, you'll never see anyone who's hungry or thirsty. And if you're frantic, you will never see God. That's why it begs you all the time, be still so that you can see me. That you can hear my promises. That the circumstance in your life is never too difficult for me. He weeps when we weep, graveside of Lazarus. He weeps when we weep. But if Jesus, an hour before he bleeds, drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, if Jesus at that moment can be giving thanks to God with all his heart, and if he can be concerned about his disciples, not himself, So can we. So can we. God bless you as you put together your thanksgiving prayer. Be still long enough to know that I am God. And then for the rest of your days, Give thanks to me. Heavenly Father, there is a individual at work in our lives. His name is Satan. He's not a fairy tale figure. He desires with all his heart to take us away from God. And the way he does that is by bringing the circumstances of life. Here comes cancer, here comes MS, here comes dementia, here comes a fractured relationship, here comes an addiction that robs us of decades of life. Here they come. And where is God? He's standing right there. Every prodigal son that has ever lived on this earth, he is standing right there. And he is using all his power and he's using his holy angels, Daniel chapter 10, to rescue us from that which Satan has sent to destroy. Heavenly Father, the storm will come, but I know who's with me in the storm. And if a three- or four-year-old child, so filled with fear, sees the face of mom or dad and the fear disappears, may we be that childlike in our faith that no matter what is causing us fear, We look at the face of our Father in heaven. We look at the face of Jesus. And through the working of the Holy Spirit, 
the fear melts away, and God's divine peace has come. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.